Hello and welcome to another edition of Woodchat. I'm Sam. And I'm Victoria. And today we're delving into a discussion about yet another fascinating industry innovation. When you think of drones or UAVs... Sam, for those who don't know, what's a UAV? Okay, so I'm glad you asked. It's an unmanned aerial vehicle. Right. So when you think about drones or unmanned aerial vehicles, forest management probably isn't the first application that comes to mind. True. And there's a growing body of research around the use of UAVs, coupled with other technologies such as sensors, to help deal with certain aspects of forest management. As a result of collaborations between industry bodies, companies and researchers, those nifty drones are now being used to capture important, detailed and increasingly accurate data. This data can be used to determine the characteristics of trees within plantations, allowing for virtual measurement of stock, which can in turn aid smart decision making. It also has other uses as diverse as measuring disease impacts, detecting fires and even locating animal habitats. We spoke to Dr Christine Stone, Principal Research Scientist in the Forest Management Program at the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. Dr Stone has driven a number of collaborative projects that make use of this kind of remote sensing technology and we were keen to find out more. We started by asking Christine what the prompter was to undertake this kind of research. Well, what I started out in was in forest health. And uh, these are large areas that need to be surveyed, which from the ground is almost impossible. And they normally are done manually, so in a helicopter or an aeroplane flying over, which is a fairly cost, uh, costly um, process. And it's also not that accurate either. So I was looking out for technology to see, well, can we do this cheaply? So that was the beginnings of looking at, but it was from the perspective of forest health, but I quite quickly found out that the companies not only had an issue of finding out where their sick trees are, more importantly, they wanted to know what, in terms of assessment of their resource, where their, you know, what, what status was the, 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 their stands at uh, in terms of, you know, standing volume, et cetera, and the condition of the stands. And that actually was a high priority for them. So that's how I got involved. And then I quickly realised I can't do this by myself or even our team can't do this by ourselves. With a team of um, researchers from multiple agencies, state departments, the CSIRO, universities and uh, um, researchers, our colleagues in New Zealand, coming together with multiple objectives, multiple school sets. And one of the things that this collaborative approach has been able to achieve is that because, uh, unfortunately, the R&D capacity in Australia has declined, we've brought in not only this collaborative approach, but brought in expertise that traditional forest researchers weren't specialised in. This is, these are people that have just relatively new graduates, for example, who have got degrees in software programming, robotics, uh, those sort of newer uh, data scientists, yeah. newer disciplines that we are attempting to harness that are used in other sectors, commonly now, and harness them, bring them in. And we've progressed a common theme, uh, which is related to the acquisition and analysis of what we call dense point cloud data. I'm just going to break off there for a second for the benefit of our listeners. You're going to hear Christine refer to this concept of dense point cloud data a number of times 
throughout this episode. And in case like me, you're unsure about exactly what that means, I wanted to provide a bit of extra detail. So essentially, scanners can be used to measure various points on an object's surface. Those points can then be used to create a 3D representation of that object. The term point cloud refers to the total set of points used to measure the object, and the more points measured, the denser the point cloud, and the more detailed the 3D representation will be. Hopefully that makes sense. And now back to Christine. The technology to be able to do this has really only sort of taken off in, say, the last five years. But because it's progressing so rapidly, we, we're iteratively improving what we can do and the options that the industry has. So when we first started, we were principally looking at what was called LiDAR sensors. That's an active sensor that were on airplanes, airborne LiDAR. The, these sensors uh, give out an, uh, a pulse, an active pulse. What this, this LiDAR does is create a 3D point cloud representation of the structure that it's, it's hit. And the pulses hit the top, but they can go all the way down to the ground. So you get a 3D construction. So we started off with LiDAR, relatively low pro, um, density, and working with our colleagues, developed an operational system where now they can acquire this LiDAR, airborne LiDAR, and then derive spatially explicit inventory attributes. That's now fairly operational, fairly routine. But what's happened is that things have advanced. So now there are now multiple sensors that can capture much higher density pulses. And parallel to that, there's commercial software now that can extract and process and analyze point data sets that derive through a process called photogrammetry, captured by a simple camera. And what we've done is in the, in the recent uh, report was to compare the quality of the photogrammetry against the quality of the LiDAR-derived data sets. Reason being is that LiDAR is relatively expensive, whereas the camera-derived points are much cheaper to acquire. Right. The camera is a passive system, so the points are very dense, but they can't penetrate the canopy. So if you haven't already have what we call a digital terrain model that's very accurate, you can fly over that with your camera and get a very dense surface. And so what we did was to say, is that surface good enough to derive with the same level of accuracy those attributes that we can derive from LiDAR at a cheaper rate? Yep. And have proven to be so. Okay. So we worked at mainly, at, 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 all this work was done at the stand level. We have now focused from the stand level to the individual tree level. And most recently, we've been looking at harnessing those very dense point clouds and putting them in, for example, into a virtual reality environment. Can we see on a screen, can we measure trees on the screen, the characteristics that you would do if you're an inventory crew in the field? And that's showing to be very promising. And so there's all these different options. And to help guide the industry and the managers, we've put out quite a few planning guides, technical sources of information, as well as software such as individual tree counting software, which is uh, freely available from the FWPA uh, website. And what we're heading towards now is ca capturing data sets, multiple data sets simultaneously and fusing them together. What's the value of three-dimensional data as opposed to the other data that's available? Right, well, 
what we're moving towards in evaluating all these different sensors and types of data that we're capturing is that we're pushing towards something that's analogous to precision agriculture. Unlike agriculture, forestry is three-dimensional. You know, this a stand of mature Pinus radiata is 30 to 35 metres tall. So that's where the three-dimensional data sets come, in to, come into value because they capture that 3D structure which is fundamental to forestry, whereas often if you look at a wheat field, it's not so important. Right. It helps decision-making processes such as application of fertilisers, timing of selective harvesting, etc. If you know how your actual stand is behaving with respect to the topography, and this spatially explicit information captures that. And so how long then have you had the ability to capture that sort of more three-dimensional data? Is that a relatively so, yeah, new? Yes. Um, the, the commercial LIDAR sensors that we initially looked at probably came out about 10 years ago. And as I said, they were fairly expensive. But the, the, both the, the quality of these sensors and the cost of the sensors are c coming down. And much more recently, the miniaturisation of those sensors is also occurring, which enables you to take a LiDAR sensor and put it onto a UAV. Uh, with the UAV, uh, the LiDAR, cheaper LiDAR on the UAV, you can accurately do tree counts, you can get tree heights, and you may get some idea of the stem characteristics, but just in a gen general manner. But if you uh, have a radiata crop, where you look at whether your product yield is extremely important, you need to know that before you, well, a very good estimate of that before you harvest. Well, then you, if you, you need more accurate systems, you get what you pay for. There's a whole range of quality of different sensors, and that's what we've been evaluating. So if you get a, a cheaper LiDAR sensor, put it on a UAV, it's not going to be as accurate as a very expensive survey engineering grade, um, surveyor grade uh, sensor, which is very expensive if you put that on a helicopter. However, the, the quality of the helicopter derived survey grade sensor is far superior. So you can use it for other purposes. And we've shown, demonstrated in the la latest FWPA project we've just submitted for as a final report that those, that, that system, very expensive though it may be, can deliver the quality of point clouds that is required to be able to accurately estimate things such as stem taper, diameter, branching, etc. So again, there's a lot of options, a lot of mix and matches, and what we're trying to do is to evaluate the broad range of these potential applications and give guidance to what they may be suitable for. And it's not just the acquiring the data, then you have to get it and analyse it. And then the outcomes of that have to be then integrated into the decision-making process related to planning and operations in an operational manner. How widely used is this kind of technology in the industry at the moment? Something that I've noted in the last, say, two years has been the huge uptake of the UAVs. And they have a lot of potential and it's really a matter of understanding, you know, do a SWOT analysis, understanding and evaluating how good these data sets are that are acquired by UAVs and how, how, where they can fit into some of the challenges that foresters are currently um, encountering. For example, in some estates, it actually is quite difficult to get into the plantations. Um, there's weeds and other hazards. So if a UAV can fly in, to use it as a sampling tool, 
we were in, so sort of in effect we could replace an inventory crew. There will never be a, a situation where they'll totally replace the need for human measurement. But generally, we envisage that it will be possible to fly your UAV merely over the top of the, the canopy or even below the canopy and assess individual trees. That data can be um, downloaded and put into, say, a virtual reality environment. And so the trees are actually assessed on the screen rather than people going into the field and trying to do that as, as it has been done conventionally and traditionally. That's amazing. I love that, especially that it can go under the canopy. Well, they can. <laughs> yeah, they can. There are now we're now testing uh, sub canopy UAV systems, but as I said, um, you can use a UAV as a sampling tool for inventory. But they're using it for looking at to use it for a lot of other um, purposes, fire management, looking for smoke, but also when when there has been a fire and they want to they put a thermal sensor on it and they want to see where the hot spots are, which may be under the ground or in logs that, that you can't see, the firefighters can't see. When they have a, a, a newly established plantation, one of the things that's um, of importance to see is how successful has the planting been. Well, at this stage, you know, men go out there and, and actually walk up and down and do a subsample. Well, that, that can be quite easily achieved now with a UAV with a cheap camera on it. So there's many applications now that are, st and the companies themselves are starting to think of their own s solutions to, to, to some of the challenges that they're trying to overcome. So it's the uptake of UAVs that has really taken off in the last two years. And why do you think that is? Is it because of the advances in the actual technology or is, has the price come down? Or? B uh, both. The technology is significantly moving, it's becoming more robust, it's, it, there's accompanying software that is easy to use. But also this technology has been used in many other areas, many other sectors, um, you know, it's used for recreational uses. So people are becoming very familiar with UAVs. It's just a matter of harnessing what they can deliver into meaningful um, operational examples. And that's really taken off. And integrating the data that you derive from these sensors into other existing systems and platforms that the companies can then use. So this whole concept of data fusion is, is an area that we're going to try and uh, look at. And one of the examples would be that there's UAVs that can now carry two sensors simultaneously. So you can have a LiDAR sensor and a what we call a spectroid, the camera sensor. And you use the two data sets and you put them together. And so it's able to provide a lot more information when you're trying to characterize you know, your actual individual trees. With the increased use of this sort of technology, what benefits is it having for industry? The increased precision of the uh, information that they're gathering, they can tighten their decision-making requirements, either temporally or spatially, and that allows them to fine-tune at, at a finer grain the type of decisions that they have to make. And, you know, um, through tighter control of planting, site-specific planting, site-specific silvicultural applications. It's not dissimilar to what they're doing in precision agriculture and what the f farmers are doing now. You know, they, they only apply fertiliser where it's needed. They can check whether the, the, the maturity of, of, of their crops. This is no different, but it's doing it remotely. So this whole idea of sensors um, collating information, being sent back to a base infrastructure being processed and then the, the products from that analysis is then going into their decision-making data flow system, well, their, their, their information flow systems. 
And so the knock-on effects of that would be? Increased efficiencies and better management of their inventory and, uh, you know, their budget. And is that an OH&S advantage as well? So in, I'm kind of... That's one sort. of the benefits, absolutely one of the benefits. If there's a reduced requirement to actually go in and measure, inspect plantations or compartments. And we've been talking today mostly about plantations, but there's, there's an analogy and it's just starting to develop in native forests where it's even harder to gain access. And there, there's also a lot of information required as part of their harvesting specifications. Things like detecting and locating habitat trees. That is very time consuming. And these, we're talking about large areas. So if this, this technology, this remote technology can assist that process, I'm sure it'll be taken up by those companies as well. What feedback have you had from industry to date? I think we've had positive feedback in that when we do put a new proposal together, the companies in general are still very keen to invest to progress this. So that's a, a very good indication that we're delivering what they want. And they are, we're able to display some of the benefits uh, and the deliverables through uh, meetings or, or gatherings such as Forest Tech, which is a large uh, conference that's going to be held in, in November. And one of the, the, the um, key presentations will be demonstrating how these dense point clouds can be incorporated into virtual reality putting on the virtual reality goggles and just demonstrating how accurate it is and possible to measure attributes, tree-level attributes on the screen rather than having to go into the field. What would you say are the kind of main outcomes so far of the work that you've been doing? Demonstration that these evolving and advancing technologies can be adapted and customised for the commercial forestry sector. It's known in the last few years that it works in the manufacturing sector and in the agriculture, but the, there's no reason why the forestry sector can, can not only also take advantage of, of these, uh, this approach. The companies who have now, in certain areas, have recognised that if they put, pull their funds together and work on, a, say, a national project, that the benefits are synergistic and everyone can share it. And that's an attitude that's changed, I believe, in the last five years or so. This is a model that seems to be working. So that collaboration, I believe, is, is a really a real benefit and bringing in expertise in disciplines that we don't have within the sector in the first instance. So with that collaboration, how easy or difficult was it initially to get people's buy-in? You can't demand respect, you've got to earn it. And you have to you know, show, demonstrate, and show them where it's going. They they, they don't make, they won't take your word for it. Um, but once you show them a good plan and have evidence to say this has worked elsewhere, um, I was interested to know how this work either compares to or complements work that's been happening elsewhere. I think, in, to be you know honest in this area, I think we're we're there with the the lead, leading edge. I do follow what's happening in Scandinavia or in the United States or Canada quite closely and we are on track and in certain areas you're probably edging out a bit in front uh, through our collaborative uh, model that we have. Would this data and technology translate overseas? Absolutely, especially the sort of the, the cheaper options, uh, you know, the, the, the UAVs and the cameras and photogrammetry, that approach. I do know that there's an ACR project that's looking at sort of cheaper options that, that can be applied to plantation management in Southeast Asia.
Christine mentioned a number of different applications for UAVs in forestry. One area that sounded particularly interesting was that of habitat detection. I called Rob Maynick of MBAC Consulting Group to discuss a recently developed proof of concept which explored how this technology could potentially be used to remotely detect koalas in plantations. Hi Rod, and thanks for agreeing to talk to us. I wondered if you could first of all just tell me what it was about this area that presented itself as being such a great opportunity for exploration. I actually went to a conference and started, I was speaking to a, a colleague friend of mine, a forestry colleague friend of mine, who explained that they had a, a problem with koalas in the eucalypt plantations at the, at the time of harvesting. It, it was a problem that had to be solved and it really attracted my attention. And the koalas had discovered our commercial eucalypt plantations and they'd come from the native forest and for a whole host of reasons crossed overland to the planted forests and they decided that this is not such a bad place to, to stay and, and took up residence. And what problems are associated then with koalas in those plantations? Well, can you imagine they're harvested, wood chips, converted into wood chips, put into ships and then transported to Japan. You, you, you wouldn't want to find a koala in the ship, would you? Uh, no. <laughs> no. So, and of course, that, um, there had to be a means of preventing that happening. And it, it, it posed a problem not just for industry, but for government and environmental regulators. A short-term solution was imposed by the regulatory authorities requiring industry to daily, manually survey the areas in front of harvesting operations and flag trees with red flagging tape that contained koalas. So quite a labour and time-intensive approach then. Extremely. And yeah. also not a safe approach. We're talking about um, extremely large uh, mechanical harvesting systems and trucks moving around. And it's simply not the place for people to be wandering around on foot. You have to appreciate that you can be standing directly underneath a, a planted eucalypt tree and look up and you simply cannot see the koala. They blend in with the tree and so it, it requires a lot of expertise. Just from memory, I think there were about 50 people involved in the pre-harvesting survey and the harvesting industry, as you'd appreciate, they, they start work at dawn. So the surveyors had to be in the forest before the harvesters. You know, winter, rain, southern Victoria where most of these koalas were it was it was a very very difficult task and so it was labor intensive really unsafe not necessarily precise and I'm imagining quite expensive yes it, it, it was and is expensive and there was resource left standing which would otherwise have been harvested so oh, right. reduce the economic return so what did your approach to starting to investigate ways of solving this problem look like? We offered a proof of concept approach. So we'd, we'd, we were very specific to say, look, we don't know whether this will work, but here is what we propose to test. A way, a way to identify the location of, you know, of a koala in a tree in terms of XYZ coordinates or 
latitude, longitude and height above the ground using infrared cam cameras and data communications and data analysis such that we could provide an output file which would be then available to the machine operator. So still the UAV would need to operate in front of the harvesting operation, but rather than have people in the field walking up, up and down the rows, we would simply have a UAV replacing all of that process. So basically we, we presented that to industry and uh, industry agreed and FWPA agreed and, and came up with a multi-step trial. We had to identify the required equipment and the required expertise to make all this happen. And we needed software specialists, somebody to design the algorithm to separate a koala image, the, the, the koala, koala image in an infrared photo from everything else. And then we had to test um, UAV platforms, so whether we used fixed wing or rotor UAVs. And then we just had to go into the field and test every individual component. We put the UAV in the air and we had to test flying at different altitudes, heights above the tops of the trees. And we tested whether video capture, as opposed to single photos, made any difference. You have to remember the temperature of a koala is only one or two degrees above the background temperature, i.e. separating something that's only one degree different to the temperature of a tree is extremely difficult. And with the videos, we found that we had very good visual sight of the koala because okay. it had the ability to just control the temperature range to a narrow range instead of looking at all temperature ranges. But we lost the ability to get the X, Y, and Z coordinates. But from a still, we greatly enhanced our X, Y, Z coordinate ability, but it was far more difficult to see the koala visibly on the screen because we didn't have the ability to focus the temperature range just on a narrow band. So we, we did prove, and we have proven, that the UAV can locate a koala visibly and we basically spelt out in our report which is available from FWPA that um, these are the things that work well and these are the difficulties. And in terms of this particular body of work what do you think either could or should be the main outcomes for industry in the long term? It will be essential to identify koalas and um, manage the operations around koalas. The processes to do that under development and the body of work we completed will certainly require a lot of technical development and um, computing development and software development and data communication development to provide a real-time link between a UAV and a machine operator. So drones in forest management, it's a brave new world. It's been fascinating to learn a bit more about it. It certainly has. And that's a wrap for the latest episode of Woodchat. I hope you join us next time.